Recently, I was reading a fascinating article about Bill Gates. He and Melinda truly are special people. You remember Bill Gates was born back in 1955, and he was just 13 years old when he first started learning about a new thing called a computer. And it became his one thing. He focused so much on learning about the computer, writing software, and he would then create Microsoft. For the next 40 years, that was his everything. He was focused. It was the one thing. He did incredibly well. So successful. So much so that when he really stepped away, he was the richest man in the world. It is estimated that his wealth is at somewhere around $90 billion. That's hard to wrap your mind around, $90 billion. He hates that title. He says it attracts all kinds of unwanted attention. Fascinating thing is, he's already given $28 billion away. And he and Melinda have committed that they will give 99.5% of all their wealth away either by the time they die or within 20 years following that, it will be done. They've started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and it's going to make an incredible difference. Now, they were so very focused on getting Microsoft up and going, and they were very successful. It was several years ago now that he stepped away full-time from Microsoft, and he does nothing but work with their foundation. There have been those who have been asking him to come back and kind of reignite a spark. And he said, no, no. What he's doing is significant. And I couldn't help but think, moving from success to significance. Finding the way to do something with your life so you feel like it makes a difference because you have lived. Their passion right now is polio. They've really wanted to work with Rotary International, World Health Organization, anybody who wants to participate, and their goal has been to eradicate polio. They have now given billions in order to help make that happen. You may not realize it, but just a few years ago, we were still having over 400,000 new cases of polio per year around the world. But in 2015... Fewer than 100 cases of polio were reported. Fewer than 100. And they were located in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And that means there were no new cases of polio reported in the entire continent of Africa. That's unheard of. There were no new cases reported in all of India. We never thought that would be able to happen. Such strides have been made and they're turning attention to malaria. The United Methodist Church has been working with the Gates Foundation, eradicating malaria and then measles. They want to focus on health issues and changing the world. I thought it was fascinating in this article that I'm reading. There are several things that Bill said I wanted to read to you. He said, beyond a certain point, money has no utility to me. Its utility is entirely in building an organization and getting the resources out to the poorest in the world. Melinda and I believe in the golden rule, that all lives have equal value and we should treat people as we would like to be treated. We have asked ourselves, how are we going to take the wealth 
that we are lucky enough to have and give it back in a way that's most important to the world. To move from success to significance. To have a passion about doing something that literally helps to change the world. As I'm reading about this, I'm thinking, I understand his passion. I just don't think it only belongs to the rich. You don't have to be a billionaire to have the passion for changing the world, to wanting to live a life of significance. It was just a couple of weeks ago that Mother Teresa was being canonized by by Pope Francis. Mother Teresa, what an amazing lady. It was back in the 1950 that Mother Teresa started the Sisters of Charity. The sole purpose was to go into the streets of Calcutta to find those who were the poorest of the poor, who were dying in the streets like garbage, and to pick them up and bring them to a home where they could be treated with dignity and respect and care as they died. She had nothing. She would die with nothing. And yet, there was such passion. It was her focus to be there for the dying in Calcutta. And her example so inspired people that today of the Sisters of Charity, there are 4,500 sisters in 133 countries who are trying to reach out and to bless life. Today, she is now known as St. Teresa of Calcutta. What a difference she made in her life. And again, as I looked at this event that was going on with Mother Teresa, and then as I was looking at this article from, uh, that I'd been reading about Bill Gates, I couldn't help but think, it doesn't matter whether you have billions or whether you have nothing. God can use you to bless life. God can use you to help change the world. We all want to live a life of significance, a life that matters, that makes a difference. I've been reading The One Thing, the book The One Thing by Gary Keller, and he quotes Leo Rostin. He's a screenwriter, and I want to read you what Leo said. I cannot believe that the purpose of life is just to be happy. I think the purpose of life is to be useful, to be responsible, to be compassionate. It is, above all, to matter, to count, to stand for something, to have made some difference that you lived at all. We can make a difference that we have lived. In our scripture lesson, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and I love it where Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, use them. Every single one of us can be living a life of significance a life of meaning, a life that makes a difference. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor or male or female, 
according to those gifts been given to you. Use them. This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series, The One Thing. And what we have said is that we wanted to look at life and remember that life is multifaceted. There's all kinds of issues in our life. But not everything is the same. Not everything has equal value and equal merit. That you and I need to look and say there's sometimes there's things that really matter. What are those things? And we said one thing, well, that's our relationship with God. What's the one thing you're doing to make sure you're growing in your faith? Last week we talked about our relationships with each other. What's the one thing you're doing to grow in the way you love each other? Today what I wanted to talk about was how do you use your time, your energy, your money? What makes you get out of bed? What's your passion? What's the one thing, the gift that God has given to you that you can use so that your life is one of purpose and meaning? What's your one thing? You know, I I love the old statement that said, discipline... Is about doing the right thing. But not all things are the right thing. You've got to decide what matters. The one thing. And you're disciplined to do that. Because not all things are equal. What are you doing? What's your one thing? Your one passion that makes you get out of bed? so that you are able to use that gift to bless life. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I I just want to share with you three thoughts. First of all, understand you can live a life of significance right now. You can make a difference right now. You don't have to wait until you have enough money. You don't have to wait until you have enough time. You don't have to wait until you take care of certain responsibilities. You can live a life of significance, a life of meaning, now. When I started working on this series and I started thinking about this passage, I couldn't help but think about a lady in our family of faith. Her name is Darlene. Darlene passed away now about 14 years ago. She was only 55 years old. She was back in her mid-40s that they discovered that Darlene had a, had a lung disease, that her lungs were losing their elasticity. They were becoming rigid and hard. She was finding it harder and harder to breathe. The doctors knew it. They had diagnosed it. They were trying to do what they could, but they knew that this disease was going to take her life. And so they tried all these different treatments to slow things down as much as they could. But as the years went by, she was having to have more and more oxygen, more and more treatments. She became more susceptible to the everyday diseases we would share with one another. And so she became homebound. And when she'd become homebound, she started watching television and she started finding the worship service. And so for the next several years, she started worshiping with us every week. We became her family of faith, even though she could never come. And one day I got an email from Darlene, and she told me a little bit about herself. 
And she said, it would mean so much to me if I could join the church. If I could be a part of this family of faith, even though you know I'll never be able to come. When I got the email, I immediately called her. And she was the most wonderful lady, just a neat spirit. She and her husband loved going to um, car racing uh, all around the country. They were an adventuresome spirit. She still had such a great and a sweet spirit in spite of all she was going through. And so we visited for a while and I said, well, of course you can be a part of the family of faith, you and your husband both. And she then said, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. You don't know what it means to me, but I don't want to just be a part of the church. I want to serve my church. So what can I do? Knowing her limitations, I had to take a moment to think about that. And then I said, you could be a part of our intercessory prayer team. Every Sunday we say to our family of faith, write down your prayer request. You can drop them in the offering plate. We have an intercessory prayer team that will be lifting you up in prayer in this coming week. You could do that. She was thrilled with the idea. It turned out in that time, Kathy Busey was the one in charge of our intercessory prayer team. I got Kathy and, and Darlene together and, uh, to connect, and then she started sending her the prayer list. And she established a routine. She had to have a breathing treatment every four hours. And whenever she would have a breathing treatment, she got her prayer list, and she started speaking the names out loud while she did the treatment, praying for all of you in her church. And so she would do that every day. She would do that for the next two years, every day. But during that time, she continued to go downhill more and more till finally they had to go to the hospital one last time. When they got ready to leave for the hospital, she told her husband, Frank, please get my Bible. Remember the daily devotional guide, the upper room. And get the prayer list. She'd be in the hospital about a month. I would go to see her. When I came into the hospital room, there I saw on the bedstand beside her, her Bible. And inside, I recognized the prayer list. Every day, she continued to pray. Every single day in the hospital. All the way to the last day of consciousness before she died the next day. She was still taking her prayer list and praying for all of us. And I thought, Darlene served her church. She served her Lord. She served you and me. And it made me realize it doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor. It doesn't matter if you have decades before you in your planning. It doesn't matter if you're at the end of your life. You can live a life of significance. You can live a life of purpose and meaning now. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, use them. What's your one thing? The gift that causes you to be excited and passionate. 
Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite authors. He was a Presbyterian minister. And he once made the statement, The Lord is leading you to the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. The Lord is leading you to the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. What brings you joy? What are you passionate about? What is meaningful to you? Maybe it's the gift that God has given to you that you can use to live a life of significance, a life that changes this world and leaves it a better place. But second, don't listen to the world tell you what you can't do. Don't listen to the voice of your parents or a spouse who told you what you can't do. Don't listen to the voice of the past and your mistakes and failures tell you what you can't do. We all have had the world tell us what you can't do. You may have had parents who have told you you'll never be good enough, you'll never amount to anything. You may have been told that by a spouse. You may look at your own failures. I believe very much that God can still use all of us regardless of the past. It's about opening your mind to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Now, I came across an article a while back that I have always remembered. It really struck me. It was actually in the Wall Street Journal, and it was about red deer in the Bavarian forest in Germany. It's kind of a weird article to be there. Maybe that's why it struck me, and I've never forgotten it because I'm from Texas, and I live in Oklahoma. I know white-tailed deer, red deer. They look different, beautiful animals, and they live in the Bavarian forest there Germany, Czechoslovakia area. Well, you remember what happened at the end of World War II. It turned out that Stalin and the Soviet Union split Eastern and Western Europe. They put a wall through the center of Berlin, and then they took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of barbed wire fence and strung it across countries' borders. Fence that came up and tilted in just like at a prison. They put up um, guard posts with machine guns, And they literally split Europe. And so you had families that were now divided, friends that were divided, but so was wildlife. It changed everything. Well, that was that way for about 40 years until the wall came down in 1989. Well, a few years ago, these scientists wanted to study the migration habits of the red deer in the Bavarian forest. And they put these GPS collars on them to be able to track them, to see where they were going, what were they doing, and they discovered the most fascinating thing. These red deer would begin migrating and following to eat, and they would finally come all the way up to within a few feet of where the fence used to be and turn around and go back the other direction. Now the fence had been torn down 20 years ago. These deer were one, two, and three years old. And yet, when they began moving through the forest, they would come all the way up to within a few feet and turn around and go the other way. 
And these scientists said, even though the wall had been torn down 20 years before, for those deer, the wall still existed in their minds. For how many of us, the wall still exists? What the world tells you, what your parents told you, a spouse, the past. Don't trust what you were told. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As the followers of Christ, the reason we come to worship, the reason we seek to have our devotionals, the reason we seek to be close to Christ, it opens our minds to new possibility, a new reality that is not what everybody else tells us. Do not be conformed. Do not be trapped by those walls of the past. Let yourself with a renewing of your mind be transformed. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, use them. Wherever you are in your life stage, you can live a life of significance and meaning now. And so third, I believe it's in the doing that you encounter God. It's in the doing that you will encounter God leading you into a life of meaning and purpose. But the way it happens is in the doing. When you and I just simply sit back, when you and I just sit back and we wait and we pray, oh God, change everything, I always think, how can God change it if you're just sitting there? It's in the doing. What's the gift that has been given to you? Are you risking? Are you trying? Are you going? That's where you're going to discover that God is there to be leading you, to be helping you in those most difficult of moments. The purpose of life is not to be happy. It's to be useful, meaningful, to help change the world. You can do that, and God will be there to guide you if you go. You know, we're having a good time right now being grandparents and raising our grandkids. But it sometimes makes you think about when you had your own children. And I remember when we had our kids and they were in elementary school, Kelly and Paul. Marsh and I loved to travel. We loved to go places, have a sense of adventure. And we wanted to pass that on to our children. And so one of the things we did was they were in elementary school. And we decided, all right, we're going to go to the airport. And here's we're going out to Colorado or wherever we're going. And we're going to give you the tickets now here at the house, and we'll be with you, but we're not telling you anything anymore. You've got to get us there. And, you know, this was in the old days now. I mean, you actually had a paper ticket you gave your kids. And so they'd have the ticket, and we'd go out to the airport, and, and then they had to start looking. Are we going American, Delta, United, South? Where are we going? And they'd have to find the place, and then we'd, how do we check our bags, get the bags checked? This was before TSA. But we'd have to go, all right, now how do we get to the gate? They'd have to look at a monitor. Okay, we're going on this flight, and so where is it? How do you find a gate? And they'd lead us down to the gate, and we'd get on the plane. And then when you land at the next airport, they start having fun. They'd run to the monitor to beat each other to try to see where's our connecting gate, where's the next flight. And 
they'd look at, we'd get to the next gate. And when you'd land, then we'd let them find the baggage claim. How do you find baggage claim? And so they just, they just started leading us. Wherever we went on a trip to travel, we gave them the tickets and said, all right, you figure out how to get us there. Well, it turned out that training came in handy in that when our daughter was a freshman in high school, she found a passion. Her one thing became running cross-country. She loved running cross-country, and she was good. Good enough that her freshman year at the state meet for 4A, she came in second overall, and her team won the state championship. It was her good friend who actually came in first. And that was good enough that she and her friend got an invitation to go run in London, England, to go to London and meet other kids from all around the world coming together for a cross country and to go to some seminars to run in Hyde Park, these races, and enjoy London. She was 15. She and Ashley worked so very hard to raise money. They raised their money and we said she could go. And so it was, we put she and Ashley on a plane from here to Chicago O'Hare International Airport. And then from there, they were going to wind up meeting the chaperones and the other kids. And they would fly to London. They'd spend a week in London, run in Hyde Park, and then come back home. When she came back home, she wasn't coming back to OKC. She was actually going to Cincinnati to see some other friends that she had met at church camp. Well, they took off and they had a great time and we'd got this thing. It's just, they were having a wonderful time. But then she was going to be coming back and as they started coming back, we had a friend of ours who worked for American Airlines who called us and said, Kelly doesn't know it yet, but she's not going to make her flight in Chicago. There's been weather delays and the flight, the American flight going on to Cincinnati has been canceled. But I've already been working on it. There are some United flights that go to Cincinnati, and I've already got her rebooked on the flight through United. We just got to somehow get word to her. You got to understand, this is more than 20 years ago. There were no cell phones. There was no way to get word to her. And so she landed at Chicago, there at O'Hare. Now, if you've been to O'Hare, you know what that airport's like. The chaperones all went their way and Ashley went back to OKC and she went to her gate to go to Cincinnati, got down there to the gate agent who said, I'm sorry, your flight's been canceled. You can come back tomorrow and we'll put you on another flight. Um, You know, United has some flights, I think you might want to check with them. She did not panic. She thought to herself, you know, I I got money. I I can get a taxi and go to a hotel and spend the night and come back tomorrow if I have to. But she decided she'd check it out, and so she started going through O'Hara, looking at the signs. It was in another terminal. How do you find the other terminal? Got over to the other terminal, found herself a monitor. Let's see, are there any flights that go to Cincinnati? Ah, There's the one, and it's a United. What's the gate? She went down to the gate, and when she got to the gate, she said, Do you have any seats on your flight to go to Cincinnati? My, My flight was canceled. My name is Kelly Long. And the ticket agent just smiled and said, we know. We've been waiting for you. She had no idea. They'd been watching all along. We'd been watching all along. And everything had been taken care of. She just needed to show up. We've been waiting for you. 
And I thought, that's exactly how God loves us. It's how God loves us. When you and I are willing to try and get out there, I believe God is watching over us. And when you come to that moment of need and you are doing, I believe God says, I've been waiting for you. What's your one thing? What's your passion? We all can live a life of significance and meaning now. Having gifts that are different according to the grace given to you, use them. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.